Mr. Speaker. You're at the intersection of business and politics. This is the 14th and G podcast from Melman Consulting. Now, here's our host, Dean Hinkson. Thank you for setting your podcast out of 14th and G. I am your host, Dean Hinkson, here live in the 14th and G studios with my erstwhile companions here at the firm, Republican Bruce Melman. Hello. And Democrat David Thomas. Hello, hello. It's great to see you guys in person. It's good uh, to see you. Yeah. And, and, and on such an auspicious occasion, uh, I think this is the first full week since the release of the quarterly Melman Consulting slide deck. This quarter's subject is disequilibrium, which I think is a fancy way to say things are out of whack. Bruce? It's about right. Well, let's just, I want to dive into a few things you covered in the deck, particularly the strategies that, that a number of our leaders are going to be using. But let's set the stage here. This is the following President's Day weekend. Uh, this is a recess week for both House and Senate. They are out of town. Where did we leave off uh, last week? It was just the Senate in session. Uh, where did we leave off and what are we going to come back to uh, when Congress reconvenes? Yeah, I think where, where we uh, left off, it was a slow start to the year, Dean, but that's sort of typical for the start of a new Congress, particularly when you have a change in one of the two bodies. Committees are organized. Uh, we're starting to get into the regular legislative season. I suspect when they come back, we'll have more uh, guidance on how things are going to move forward in the annual appropriations process and the annual NDAA process. Those are the big ones. But of course, the the, the big kahuna is going to be the debt ceiling. There seems to be conflicting signs on exactly when we're going to hit that date with Treasury suggesting earlier uh, in the summer and uh, CBO was suggesting maybe a little bit later. But that is going to be the big challenge. We're looking at Congress. a June-July time frame. That's about right. Uh, but we and we're already in extraordinary measures. It, it, extraordinary measures and extraordinary times. And uh, that really has to be the focus when they get back to town. In the meantime, we'll see Senate continue to do things like uh, pass judicial nominations, uh, and things of that sort. But really, uh, I think the, the, the thing I'm expecting when they get back is, is those negotiations on the debt ceiling between Speaker McCarthy and President Biden are going to need to pick up. You know, is it extraordinary measures if we've done it 20 times in this century, so 20 times in 23 years? It feels kind of not doing would be extraordinary at this point. Well, I hope you are uh, relaying that to your friend Speaker McCarthy, Bruce, because you're right. This should be the regular sort of thing that happens on a regular basis here. And yet Republicans can't seem but help to touch this hot stove every time it comes up. It's I predict it's going to go down to the last minute because that's the way Congress gets things done. Yeah, it was Speaker McCarthy who said uh, extending the debt ceiling without dealing with the debt is a failure of leadership. Oh, no, that was Senator Obama. I apologize. <laughs> I get them confused. I, I do uh, love it when Bruce... Uh, goes back into history here. Uh, maybe you could tell me what FDR thought about the debt ceiling as well. Uh, I Bruce. guess 2007, 2006 is, is ancient history. It seems a little bit more working lifetime. We were friends by then, DT. <laughs> it's true, though. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. Uh, I think all will be well in the end. Well, Bruce, one of the big pieces in, uh, in the slide deck this quarter, and DT, I'm going to start with you. Uh, are, are the strategies that, that a number of our leaders, uh, the Four Corners, President Biden, Speaker McCarthy, uh, Leader Schumer, Leader McConnell, uh, some of the strategies that they're going to uh, have to employ throughout the year if they're going to be successful. Start, of course, with President Biden, uh, who took his, I think, I think right off the slide deck, Bruce. He took a surprise trip to Ukraine uh, over the weekend, and I think even now maybe giving his uh, giving his speech back in Warsaw. But uh, triangulation light. Is Do you think the, he wouldn't have gone if it were not in the slide deck? Uh, probably not. Wow. I mean, he, he he went to the bridge event in Kentucky that you have pictured, uh, and there he is with his arm around uh, President Zelensky. 
<laughs> well, look, I think uh, where President Biden stands right now is as a result of the midterms that went better than expected, as a result of a legislative session uh, last year that went very, very well for him. Uh, it's given him the gift of time. Uh, we don't hear anybody calling on him publicly that they're going to run against him, they're that he'll, he'll face challenges here. Uh, so he can do the job of being president, and he doesn't have to feel the pressure of making a decision on running for president. I assume he's going to run for president again. That's certainly what the White House staff are saying. Um, we've also had a shakeup over there, which is worth mentioning, where Ron Klain uh, just stepped down and Jeff Sainz uh, took over the job here. Uh, and so, you know, his job doing for the best thing he can do to make the case for reelection is to do the job at hand. And what is he doing this week? He's going to Europe and showing how our reinvigorated allies are helping to defend uh, Ukraine. He's been moving to the center on a lot of issues here because the Democratic base will come home. You got to get that small slice of independence. And, and so those are the kind of things that he's working on over uh, uh, the next uh, few uh, weeks and months. And my, I expect we'll have a decision pretty soon that he's going to run for president again. My question is, where does he tack to the center? I mean, that, that's, uh, you know, this is not going to be a full Clinton 94 triangulation, but but a triangulation light. What's the what's what's the center issue for Biden? Because he's governed. Look what he said and look what they're doing on immigration. You know, he didn't he's not obviously going out of his way to pull the proverbial sister soldier in part because, like DT said, they had a far better midterm than Clinton did in 94. At the same time, both in the policy trying to address the crisis at the border, visiting the border. If you if you read some of the things he or reread some of the things he said in his uh, State of the Union, his approach on the border is decidedly way to the right of where the Democratic, uh, uh, you know, base was and frankly base is heading in. I, you ask uh, Dean where he will go to prove he's moving towards the center. For me, that is easy. What does he do to the center? Defends democracy. There's nothing else that makes a leader look more presidential <laughs> than defending the Constitution for which they were sworn to I uphold. like being in the studio and being able to see Melman roll his eyes. <laughs> well, just, I mean, the polling suggests the idea that we are defending democracy is, is very much the catnip for the base. For moderates, what the president's actually doing, it's standing up tough on China. It's uh, being much more uh, restrictionist in immigration. That's how he's trying to pick up the independents. You know, the, the, uh, the idea of let's paint the foil as an existential threat, you know, Hitler writ 21st century on democracy works great with the Democratic base. But that's different than what he does to win over the middle middle there voters. There are no it's, more Republicans. They're MAGA. They're all MAGA Republicans. Midwestern right? manufacturing has attempted the mid, at the middle at the middle. I could not be more pleased that you brought up a World War II reference here, Bruce, because as I was looking at the coverage yesterday of the president's trip to Ukraine, which I think is a a very a bold move, uh, something that it shows he is a leader on the world stage. And uh, what we saw coming from the people who want to replace him is criticizing him for making that trip, criticizing him for any number of reasons here, which I think is shocking when the president is going abroad to help to defend democracy in, in Europe for the first wartime action in Europe since World War II. You see Republicans, and not just your sort of wackadoodle House Republican far-right guys, but people who want to run for president who are critical of him. They. I think would be the first one to say, oh, they love Winston Churchill, but they sound like Neville Chamberlain. <laughs> That's what they sound like. Okay, but this is, you know, this is one, this is attack as old as the hills. Uh, two, and, and we're going to see more of this because you had the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, uh, this sort of environmental disaster affecting Rust Belt, small town America, 
And where's where's President Biden? He's off gallivanting overseas. Uh, we see this. I'm sorry. That is. I just got to stop you there, Dean. That is absurd. To the fact that on the anniversary of the start of the war of Ukraine, he's going to be criticized for going there to defend uh, democracy abroad here. I think there is no more important thing that a president of the United States can do uh, than, than to stand up for those kind of values, uh, those kind of ethics. Um, to me, it was an exciting trip that he went on, and uh, it should reinvigorate, and it's making Putin think twice. I'm not saying time. you're wrong substantively, but politically, and you can ask George H.W. Bush, foreign policy victories do not win president's re-election. Hey, let's move. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to move us right along to DT's other favorite topic, uh, Speaker McCarthy and his efforts to unite the right. Uh, a 15 ballot speaker election, uh, very thin margin in the House of Representatives, uh, and a lot he's got to get done. How much running room uh, is Speaker McCarthy going to have in these negotiations with Biden and all the other things that uh, Congress has got to get done this year? Well, look, he's uh, he's playing a really difficult hand about as well as I think it could be played, uh, given the fact that he's getting no help, no lifelines from anywhere else. Um, his playbook for 2023, Speaker McCarthy's are first find the popular issues, lead on them. The the uh, the bipartisan new special committee on China is the ultimate example of that build up credibility. He is new as a speaker. And so, you know, how did Nancy Pelosi, DT's uh, hero and, and the tattoo he has on his uh, on his bicep, uh, how did she develop her her ultimate, you know, overwhelming support and trust as leader? One success at a time. Number two, uh, he's got to do the things that one does to grow a majority. You know, he's, he's a prolific fundraiser. He's going to keep doing that. They've got to recruit the right incumbents. He's going to keep doing that. Making or Defend the incumbents against tough votes. He's got to recruit the right challengers. You know, third, uh, the Republicans are hoping that oversight can be productive. And, and as I think DT won't acknowledge, but we all know, the oversight topics out there will range from the very legitimate, proper role of government, probably don't make the Democrats in the administration and, the, and, and uh, their opponents look good, to the uh, questionable, we'll see if they can handle them maturely, to the, you know, let's have another hearing on Benghazi because, you know, and at some point, and, and, and I think what Speaker McCarthy is trying to do is encourage the China, encourage the things that will be done thoughtfully by thoughtful people and trying to minimize the degree to which the, the kind of the get their five minutes of fame on Fox people do it. And then last, as your point on the 15 ballots demonstrated, he's got a very activist right wing. He, Speaker McCarthy, does not want a debt ceiling disaster. That's not in his interest. He would like to not simply, you know, both rubber stamp the spending Congress already approved, some of which Republicans tried to stop, and say there is no additional restraints going forward, how he can find uh, leverage to slow down future debt is, is you know, that's that's the hardest trick in the book right here. I, I think there's a harder trick in the, in the book for him. And I, I was thinking about this this morning. There have always been wackadoodle members in Congress you know, amongst Democrats <laughs> and amongst Republicans. Beam me um, up, Mr. Speaker. Yes. <laughs> James Trappicant was one that I wrote down. Yes. Here. I also wrote down Bob Dornan. Like those kinds Be one, of Bob. But guess, I love Bob But Dornan. here's the difference between then and now. And then they were the gadflies, uh, people who didn't give them any of attention. The problem for Speaker McCarthy is he owes his speakership to the wackadoodles. And here is the problem that he's got going forward, I think, is particularly as we get into the, into the debt ceiling here, is Marjorie Taylor Greene he has brought into the inner circle. He's given her committee assignments back. They embrace on the floor. This is a real problem for him because what did she say just yesterday? 
She said, we need a national divorce and the red state should go and do their own thing here. So now what are the kind of questions that Speaker McCarthy's gonna have when he comes back into the town? Speaker McCarthy, where do you stand on secession? I mean, that is bonkers. <laughs> he can't get the job done. And the problem is he has not dis disassociated himself from people like her. And there are a heck of a lot others. I'm hoping it doesn't result in that. But, you know, look, at the end of the day, Democrats are going to have to supply votes. As we saw with the speaker's election, Democrats, in theory, could have said, let's just take a walk, not even vote for McCarthy. Let's take 40 of our Dems, not vote, reduce the amount McCarthy needed, and then he won't cut some unholy alliance or unholy deal with the MTGs. But the Democrats, sensing the path to win back the House, is to make uh, Biden as beholden as possible. This reminds me of the 2022 campaign, when Democrats spent tens of millions of dollars to help people that you guys say were threats to democracy win their primary elections because you'd rather have them, albeit creating the risk, you know, so the best thing a president can do, you know, I forget the phrase you used, but the holiest thing he can do is defend democracy, but let's put tens of millions of dollars on behalf of the right-wing lunatics because we can beat them. And if they have more Larry Hogan's, well, we can't beat them. Seems to me at some point, Dems are gonna have a choice between maximizing the chances of winning back the majority and helping avoid catastrophic debt type failures. We'll see what the Dems Having choose. to avoid catastrophic failures because the Republican Party doesn't stand for anything anymore. I think that's the ultimate problem here. When you have a party that uh, did not have a platform in 2020, and when you have a Senate majority, or I guess uh, he's minority leader, Senator McConnell, who said, I don't have a platform. I'll tell you after we have the majority. They don't stand we for anything. We have to pass the bill to find out what's in it. So that is a real problem for Republicans. And with regard to this fantasy scenario that you have of Democrats taking a walk and helping the, uh, uh, McCarthy elect a speaker, how long do you think it would have taken for the motion to vacate to be instituted? It would have been on the same day uh, no. that he got. Yes, well, first of all, the motion to vacate. Well, look, the motion to vacate, which requires one. Before yes. it required one, if 40 Dems had walked without McCarthy cutting the deal, we perhaps digress if we're going for 10 here, uh, Dean Hinkson. We're but not going to make 10. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I am going to direct your attention down across Statuary Hall uh, to the other end of the Capitol and the Senate. The other majority is held by Leader Schumer. He has got a huge task in uh, because the Senate map for Democrats is horrible in 24. Defending seats in West Virginia, in Pennsylvania, in Arizona again, Montana. Don't remind me. Oy. <laughs> yeah, the, the map is absolutely brutal for Democrats in uh, in a year and a half. And uh, that's all I think that Senator Schumer is going to be thinking about. How do I take care of my members as best I can here? So what does that mean? Trying to protect people like Senator Tester. If Senator Manchin runs again uh, in, in West Virginia. Add on top of that, we've had a couple of senators with significant health issues that are going on in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, so that uh, makes it even more uh, difficult for him to get the job done here. As you will see, what has he been doing? passing nominees. Uh, that he's still been managing to do that even under the tight margins. So that is sort of the default moving forward. Just continue to do that while uh, we figure out what the larger Senator Fetterman of Pennsylvania uh, checked himself into Walter Reed for some pretty severe clinical depression. I think we all wish him a speedy recovery, but it uh, Schumer's back down to 50 votes. Vice no, President Vice President Harris may get another workout in the uh, in the chair. Well, that's true and, and Senator Casey's also recovering from cancer. So we've got two uh, uh, senators who are, are uh, uncertain when they'll be able to, to be in the chamber here. 
Um, so yeah, that's a challenge. It's a challenge for Senator Schumer, but uh, most importantly, we wish those two guys the best and uh, get them back on the floor soon. Amen. And then of course, uh, Leader McConnell with, with 49 Republican senators, uh, the, the task for him is to avoid a repeat of, uh, of the 2022 cycle uh, and take some control in the primary process. Senator Daines of Montana, uh, is is the new NRSC chair for this cycle. He's much more, uh, how should we say, of a team player than perhaps the prior chairman was. They look to see more involvement in the in the primary process, at least. Well, look, I mean, it's 2022 was a repeat of 2010 and 2012. We've seen the movie before. And we saw with the Christine O'Donnell's, the AKA I Am Not a Witch candidate in Delaware in 2010, Candidates matter. Uh, if you run candidates who are too extreme or perceived to be too extreme for the states they're running in, they lose. And so in 2022, a, a year Republicans absolutely coulda, shoulda, woulda picked up the Senate, they didn't because I don't know, Herschel Walker, Blake Masters, Dr. Oz, uh, even Baldick, you take a look, you know, compared to this, the governor, Chris Sununu, who stomped to reelection, these were all winnable races had Republicans had the candidates McConnell would have preferred. They stayed out of the primaries in part because of the right wing of the right wing being unhappy uh, and Trump, uh, you know, weighing in on all four of the losers. But that's why we didn't pick up the Senate in 2022. Trump's also, as you and I know, why we didn't pick up the Senate uh, in, uh, in, the spe in, the, in the Georgia specials in 2021. That's number one. Number two, if you want the right to govern, demonstrate you have the capacity to govern, I think uh, McConnell and Senate Republicans very much made the case. DT likes to point to all of the legislative accomplishments in the 117th, and I think justifiably so. There were many, but the vast majority of them, frankly, all but two, the team Biden would, would like to, uh, to take credit for were bipartisan. So Senator McConnell found a way to allow his uh, you know, coalition of the willing to cut deal people to cut deals when it made sense to cut deals. Number three, there's a lot of things that the minority party doesn't agree with the majority party on. They have lots of uh, tools that I never quite understood. Mr. Hinkson, maybe you can explain holds because I don't get it. But, uh, you know, uh, filibusters, holds and other things will slow down the administration, particularly try to slow down the executive branch when you can. And then last, uh, there are a lot of Republicans who want to have a future Republican Party that's Trumpy if not led by Trump necessarily himself, that are trying to make the Republican Party much more of a of a working class, multi-ethnic working class party. And that is a very different set of policy issues than the Reagan-esque Republican that you and I grew up with and that McConnell, I think, would naturally default to. But, you know, Bruce, I look at the dynamic, at least the initial dynamic uh, here with Senator McConnell on the debt ceiling and he sort of stepped back and said or speaker mccarthy president biden uh, you guys do the negotiation and we'll we'll take a look at what you come up with i expect at the end of the day he's going to have to come in and uh, get involved again it makes sense for him to sit out these first few rounds here but i can't imagine a process gets done uh, without his direct involvement at the end of the day. He and uh, President Biden have done it before. I suspect they're going to have to do it again. Let's look back at the other end of the Capitol one more time. Leader Hakeem Jeffries, uh, the minority leader in the House, succeeding Nancy Pelosi. She did navigate. Now, look, I'll give her credit. She navigated a very, very slim majority that really for a lot of people would prove ungovernable in the House. And, and he's got some big shoes to fill. What's, what's sort of the ramp up looking like for Leader Jeffries? Uh, he does uh, indeed have big shoes to fill, but I tell you what, I've never seen such happy, excited members of Congress, leadership, staff, or people who just fell into the majority or fell into the minority. The transition has gone as uh, well as anybody could have expected here. 
And I tell you what, if you're going to take over for the best, it helps to just have uh, a, a five-seat uh, margin there between the majority and the minority here. What does he have to do? He has to keep his folks voting no on things that Kevin McCarthy brings to the floor. That's a pretty good place to have to be in here. And I tell you what, with that five-vote margin going into the uh, presidential election, they feel very bullish about their chances because of the number of states that they're going to have to pick up. It is 18 members. Uh, uh, Republicans who are sitting in seats that uh, President Biden won last year. That gives them the, the 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 field to try to pick it back up. They feel pretty good about things. Being being in the minority in the, by five seats in the House of Representatives is a target-rich environment for mischief. Well, <laughs> mischief is defined always by the majority, of right. course. What's interesting to me, though, is, you know, in seeing DT, and you can speak to this better than we can, but you know, how you guys are moving people on committees to set up the best players you can, particularly in defensive positions on oversight. Oversight, I think this will be the mother of all oversight Congresses, both from the Senate and the House. We're already seeing a lot of our clients recognize the risks, risks on ESG, risks on China, you know, risks on a whole host of issues where both sides are not only going after the other party, but they're also questioning business and business actions and business operations. You know, as we've seen uh, for a long time, uh, the minority in oversight can be devastatingly effective because they get to be at the table, they get to uh, weigh in, they get to uh, trip up the majority witnesses, um, and it's going to be more than theater. It's going to have downstream business implications. Because I think one of the other things our clients are really dealing with is, uh, is stepped up uh, oversight and enforcement by the executive branch. President Obama's agenda stalled when he lost the House. He said, I got a pen, I've got a phone. I'm going to use it. What are we? What are we seeing there? What are our clients seeing there? So uh, President Biden also has a pen and a uh, phone, but he's going to be reaching out to uh, his colleagues in the cabinet to get things done here. The difference between where uh, President Obama is and President Biden is President Biden passed massive laws that need to be implemented uh, over the next two years, and so if nothing else happens, the fact that he's got the CHIPS Act, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, and the infrastructure law, that should keep his entire cabinet out on the road, you know, handing out giant checks to local mayors and making people feel good about things. That, if it was just that, that's a pretty good place to be. But he's also got the regulatory agenda at agencies. We're keeping a very close watch on what's going on at the SEC on climate, and then also enforcement agencies. The, the place where I think is very interesting right now is over at the uh, FTC, where right now you're down to three Democratic commissioners, both Republicans having resigned. And in so, protest. In protest over what Chairwoman uh, Khan is doing. So we'll have to see how that plays out on things like uh, antitrust reform, particularly as it relates to the big tech platforms. A lot of action going on there to watch as well. And we'll take another stab at covering 2023 in 23 minutes. Bruce Melman, David Thomas. Thank you for joining me on 14th and G in person. Great to be back in the room. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for listening to today's podcast, brought to you by the lobbying firm of Melman Consulting. For more, just type 14th and G podcast into your favorite search engine or look for 14th and G wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Beam me up, Mr. Speaker.